But it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's, not really no this is This is the best seat now. It's, it's got a runway in the front yard. All right. Fly it like you stole it. I got a sticker on my motorcycle helmet that says, Ride it like you stole it. Uh huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> I don't know how to start this. Uh, um, 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 the FAA, God bless them. The FAA is helping Amazon along here. Um, what's the story? I get who Jeb, you put this on the list. Um, so, so, so Amazon, amazon.com, the online uh, retailing outfit wants to use, I can never decide whether they're serious about this or not. I just can't quite, and I'm the futurist. I'm the technologist. I can't quite picture how a drone is going to, going to deliver, the things that I buy from Amazon, all right? Well, it probably won't deliver the things you buy from Amazon. Yeah. Oh, you think okay. they'll be like moving things between terminals and no, warehouses? No, no, no. Or? I think this is going to be great for New York, Boston, D.C., you know, center city areas, okay, where you're you're close to the – you got the warehouse, you got da da da, da and um, – the addresses are fairly consistent. I don't know. And, All right, and okay. things like this, and and you know, you need a, uh, um, I don't know, an ink cartridge for your inkjet printer to yeah. print a report. Yeah, and the store is just closed or something. Yeah, you can go online to Amazon and have one delivered to you within an hour. That's kind of slick. So, well, the delivered within an hour part is pretty slick. Okay, but you're telling me that the delivery by drone thing is really only intended to happen deep inside the class Bravo? Is that what you're telling me? Well, that's part of of the. Th- I don't I don't know what Amazon's marketing plans and rollout okay, plans right. for all this are, and and if I did, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation. But I what I'm getting at is, this is not going to be ubiquitous. It's not going to be. Um, oh, hey, you know, I'm out in the middle of the Sahara and I need a bottle of, or I need a six pack of beer. Yeah, well. And, and that's, you know. But that's the not, place. It's like me up here in Papa Papa. This is a place where I've got a little bit of lawn for the damn thing mm-hmm. to, to, to land and drop off the box. And, but which, anyways, is a whole, which is a whole other part of the equation. Yeah. So FAA is kind of helping them along here. FAA has granted Amazon, according to this story anyways, has granted Amazon a quote unquote experimental airworthiness certificate. What the heck is an experimental airworthiness certificate? What do you? When you uh, do they? Are they going to have to be EAA members in order to? Uh, well, I think I think that's I think that's a logical outcome that they Amazon should not only join the EAA. I think they should be a sponsor at AirVenture. Oh, no, I think they should too. But that's a different story altogether. Different, uh, what are we looking at here? CVS. We could local- be looking at drone aerobatics and drone air shows. If yeah. I was flying it, it would definitely be aerobatic. <laughs> CBSlocal.com out of Los Angeles uh, story. That's what we're looking at here. Uh, the headline is FAA gives Amazon, quote, experimental airworthiness certificate, unquote, to test drones. First couple graphs. Amazon may, may be one step closer to delivering packages by drone. On Thursday, the FAA issued an experimental airworthiness certificate to the company's unmanned aircraft design, which will be used for research, development, and crew training. Now, let's see. Now, with experimental airworthiness certificate is clickable in this story. Let's see what that has. Yeah, that takes you what? to the FAA news release. Oh, this is the FAA news release. Okay. So and there, it, there are many varieties of experimental airworthiness certificates. Well, that's what I'm trying sure. to get at here. We're not talking about the kind of experimental 
airworthiness certificate that that one might put on a Sonics or a. Um, well, it's not experimental amateur build. No. Okay. It'd be experimental developmental. Right. It's the same it's what, basic it, paper. Yeah. Go ahead. It's the same basic piece of paper, but remember there are different flavors of experimental certificates. So this this is a kind of of, of certification that that's truly experimental, as opposed to a lot of the EAA type aircraft that are are more amateur built than they are experimental. Yes, I, yeah. I, I, I see what I you're saying I, there. I don't agree with your choice of words, but the quick answer is yes. Okay. Well, oh, okay. Good. So you see, we have experimental developmental, which is what the airplane companies get when they're working to certificate a new airplane with a normal type certificate. Okay. Uh, All right. Yeah. Experimental amateur built. There's experimental exhibition, which is what a lot of the airplanes that we see at the air shows are flying on. Uh, and with that designation comes the potential to do some things that the FAA wouldn't necessarily smile on for experimental amateur built. So uh, this is an established type of certificate. What intrigues me is the uh, the, the uh, con- conditions under which this uh, certificate uh, works. What are they? Oh, flights under 400 feet and in daylight. Uh the uh, pilot's license for the operator and a medical certificate. Yeah, I saw that. That was yeah. Uh huh. Why do you think uh, that's remarkable? Because there's been a lot of noise out there from the uh, unmanned aerial vehicle community uh, trying to push that rock in the other direction on the basis that you know uh, we can program these things to land or come home if the the, the operator doesn't input or uh, something happens to them. But the FAA, from what I hear from a friend of mine, is their contention is that if you're going to work your way up into being in the airspace with other things that have people, the pilot of that unmanned aerial vehicle, whether he's within line of sight and particularly not line of sight, needs to understand the same rules of the road. Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay, that part makes sense. It's even if even if you just look at the um, NPRM the FAA published about a month ago um, on this topic on basically fifty five pound and under UAs UASs, um, they're not requiring a pilot certificate, but they are requiring uh, basically a written test, a knowledge test, if you will. <laughs> Um, about operating these these, uh, I hesitate to call them vehicles. I hesitate to call them aircraft. I, I, toys is is not the right word either. I don't know what to call them. Um, but yeah, the FA is you know kind of really they want to make sure you're not mixing it up. They want to make sure you understand the rules and the regs. They want to understand. They want to make sure you understand what constitutes daytime and nighttime uh, and things like that. That you know, rated pilots basically just take for granted because they've been through this training. But the average, the great unwashed uh, uh, a member of the the public who wants to play with his uh, his uh, whatever um, his his new drone, 
um, doesn't know anything about the, the real estate agent who wants to to uh, you know take some video of various properties he or she's marketing. Um, they don't know from FAA regs. They don't know from 400 feet. They don't know from from sundown and 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 nautical twilight and all that nonsense. Um, they need to if they're going to do this correctly, and and they have to be given a leg up, if you will, to comply with the regs. Um, that's all that kind of stuff is in the NPRM. Uh, it'll be a couple of years before, I think we've talked about this, it'll, it'll be a couple of years before that becomes final. In the interim, they're doing this experimental certificate for Amazon. They, they announced something else here within the last few days. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, streamlines uh, um, certificates of authorizations. Uh, certificates of authorization, I should say, certificate of waiver authorization, COAs, uh, for flights at or below 200 feet. Basically, they've got a blanket, um, one-size-fits-all kind of operating certificate in the interim uh, if you want to operate your UAV at or below 200 feet. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, yeah. <clears throat> um, so, but the, the to me, the big deal here, and, and, and there's another... A thing in our list uh, here about uh, Google coming up with, maybe coming up with, or looking at coming up with some kind of um, very small, uh, low power consumption ADSB transmitter. You think about this for a second. Um, we've got ADSB coming uh, uh, online here in, in in less than five years now. Um, <clears throat> A lot of the, as we were just talking, a lot of the market for uh, operations like what Amazon wants to do, which is use a UAV for product delivery, okay? Again, a lot of that is going to happen in urban areas, industrialized areas, uh, where there's demand for office supplies, for example. Um, and where do you generally find a huge demand for office supplies? In, in the major cities. And what else do you find in major cities? Class Bravo, which goes all the way to the surface. Mm-hmm. And you want to try to be the guy to explain, uh, you want to be try to be the project manager to explain to the administrator of the FAA or to Congress that you're going to let loose a bunch of these little UAVs in Bravo airspace? I don't want to be that guy. Yeah, no, that's they've got to <coughs> how to keep track of them for I sure. I don't want to be that guy. So they're going to have to do something, and and I, for one, I'll be right up at the front of the line to to uh, with a pitchfork, uh, marching on the FAA if they let loose a bunch of these UAVs in, in Bravo without ADSB when I'm supposed to have it. Yeah, well, yeah, there's that too. So right? I'll, I'll be I'll be the guy handing out pitchforks. Yeah. So uh, I'll uh, I'll help you. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Anyways, I also want them to have autonomous seeing of a before they get a nod to go into that airspace. Yeah. Actually, I want that for any airspace. Okay. Well, good luck with that. Yeah. Because well, that technology doesn't exist yet. Well, it's before, being tested. It's being tested. It, it, yeah. 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 Before, Your ADSB is a big part of the test. Exactly. Before people yeah. become absolutely convinced that this is a drone podcast, which truly it's not. Let me say, welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the general aviation podcast. 
I'm Jack Hodgson. I knew he was going to do that. I'm the one who chose to make the drone story first, so it's on me. But uh, uh, I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm coming to you from uh, from uh, snowy, but it's melting fast. Papa Papa, New Hampshire. Um, where what is uh, the snow of which you speak? I know, I just, man. I you know, I just spent I just spent uh, the better part of a week down in Tennessee, where there's no snow at all. It was beautiful. It was in the 70s most days. And say it ain't snow. Yeah, right. Oh, sorry. And, uh, um, and so. Uh, I, I really had this dream that I'd come back after my six days in Tennessee and the snow would all be melted up here, but it wasn't wasn't to be. Um, there's still snow on the ground, but it's been it's melting fast. Things we're making progress. It's almost spring. I mean, really spring. The calendar says it's spring, but that's what's going on up here in Pop Up Up in New Hampshire. Talking to my two good friends here uh, uh, in our virtual hangar. Uh, one of those voices out there is uh, from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. Jeb Burnside. Hi, Jeb. How are you doing? I'm spiffy. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> no snow down there, huh? You're all set. No, you know, I, I think I've may, may have mentioned this on the podcast before. Every time I check the weather channel for uh, uh, weather data, um, yeah. where I am, there's this, you know, they, they, you pull up a page and, and it sends out all the, all the local National Weather Service, you know, data to you and whatnot. There's all these fields built into this page. One of them is recent snowfall. Yeah. <laughs> And what does and it, it say? It always says MA. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, all right. Okay. Not available or not applicable? I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> so so uh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I just I just work here. Yeah. It must be that time of year. I, there was a Red Sox game down in, I don't know, it was in Fort Myers or someplace down in Florida that they actually, uh, uh, in spring training, they don't feel obligated to finish baseball games. And so they they suspended the game after four and a half innings due to rain. And I'm thinking, okay, well, it must be starting huh. to get to be that time of year where the, well, big, the big afternoon rainstorms come through. We we had a we had a a front coming through or trying to go through here today, um, where it was just you know band after band after band. It's the same kind of thing that that made um, Sun and Fun so exciting a couple of three years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's cold, or I don't want to say cold. There, nothing's cold down here. It's cooler air behind it and highs will be in the 70s uh for the next few days versus the 80s or so that it had been the previous week mm-hmm. uh, and then you know that this will probably be the last cold front of the spring and everything after this is just going to be uh air mass thunderstorms and and uh welcome to summer in florida and then uh, in october we might get a cold front again so Okay, that's well. You know, that's the way it used to work. We'll we'll see how it works now. But, well, uh, you know, there's there's all kinds of yeah. reasons that can go askew. Askew. Speaking of askew, my other friend here. <laughs> in the, in the hangar. Thank you, Jeff. I really and, and that. Skew, askew you too. <laughs> From uh, Boy, that's hard to say. <laughs> Wichita, Kansas is Dave Higdon. Hi, David. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Uh huh. I'm doing okay. Just back from a. Uh, short but intense little uh, work road trip down to Texas. And uh-huh. uh, uh, it was more like spring when I left than it was when I got back last night and even less spring-like today. But they tell me it's coming back soon. It might even be ultralight weather on Sunday. Ooh, very cool or warm. You get the idea. You were in San Antonio, David? Yes, sir. Were you in downtown or were you out on the outskirts? Where were you? Downtown, uh, my hotel was about uh, three blocks from the Alamo. Did you get to wander, uh, go and explore the the canal there? I love the, that canal area. Oh, the Riverwalk. Yeah, the Riverwalk, and a lot of great restaurants. Man, a lot of great restaurants. Uh, walked through that maze of, of canals, as you called it, 
uh, about seven, eight times over three days. Yeah, it's a nice little uh, walk. I agree. But never got a boat ride this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and sampled a couple of those restaurants that you're talking about. Yeah. I enjoyed. I was in San Antonio about a year ago for a couple of shows, and uh, and that was fun. And uh, um, and it was hot there too. It's maybe not quite as hot this time of year, but uh, yeah, I forget when I'm, I was there in the summertime, so it was pretty warm. But uh, I liked San Antonio, um, and I particularly like that river, that downtown Riverwalk River Walk area. That was pretty cool. What else is going on, David? Yeah, you uh, you're busy. You you got a lot of work these days, huh? You're you're you must be exploring all sorts of aviation subjects that you can't talk about yet. Uh, but I can talk about a one or two of them at the end of the podcast. Okay, so. sounds good. Sounds good. What are we talking about here? De- uh, Jeb. So, Jeb, mm-hmm. uh, long-time listeners to this podcast may may realize that Jeb has turned me into something of a motorcycle uh, a renovation fan, all right? I'm not nearly as into it as, as Jeb is, but, but I'm kind of doing a little bit. And every time I get interested in a particular motorcycle, like, for example, I just recently bought a, a kind of beat-up uh, uh, hanger-find kind of motorcycle, um, and, and Jeb goes, oh, I've got a PDF of the manual for that motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> and he does this all the time. I mean, he did this for my my old Yamaha. He did this now for the new, the the newer the Honda that I just got. All right, and he does this all the time. Well, now Jeb is is passing around PDFs. Uh, so you're all set if the uh, local flying club ever does uh, MIG 15s on rental, right? You've got your own pilot's operating handbook here. Where'd you find this? What is this? I don't remember where I found this. One, you know, you click a link and it leads to another link and yada yada. But this is. Um, a recently, or at least previously, declassified um, memo, uh, directive, order, whatever they call it, from the United States Air Force. Um, is I guess it was actually unclassified in, in um, 1988, but it dates from the mid 50s. Yeah, and it basically is a pilot's operating handbook for uh, a Soviet MiG 15. The punchline is, where does it say this? Let's back up. Um, This was all published. um, I'll just read this this first couple of sentences, or first sentence. This manual has been prepared specifically for the purpose of providing U.S. Air Force personnel with operating information on the MiG-15 to an extent that, if necessary, this airplane may be used as a means of escape from hostile territory. <laughs> okay. So, you know, I only just so could... You're going to go out, you're going to go pull a uh, Bob Hoover. Right, exactly. Uh, MiG- yeah. Bob Hoover stole a, famously stole a, a, a Folk Wolf uh, 190 during World War II and flew it uh, to, uh, to uh, his lines. Um, so why not? You know, let's, let's make sure that we at least have the training for this. Right? I know, huh? I was skimming through here trying to see if I could find the V speeds for this airplane, but I'm not, I haven't gotten that far into it. I, I haven't here. gotten past engine start actually. Yeah, but, uh, no, you know, I just, it just suddenly occurred to me, this is obviously not the, a Russian pilot's operating hand, handbook because it's written in English. So, mm. uh. I wonder if it's a straight translation from a Russian manual or if it's something that was, uh, you know, written specially for, I don't know. It's, it's, don't, I don't know. I mean, I, back in, during the Korean War, there was a big deal. We, we, none of us were alive back then, wink, wink, nod, nod. But um, um, there was at least one MiG that, was, that defected to South Korea during the Korean War. Mm-hmm. Uh, North Korean or Chinese pilot 
said, hey, I'm out of here, boom, and landed at, you know, Kempo or something like that. And um, it's not clear to me if this is like a translation condensation from some paperwork that was on that airplane or, or it came from some, some other source, or if this is something that was developed uh, from testing done on that or, or other airplanes that the, the Air Force came in, came in possession of. I don't know. Yeah. So, anyways, you read this. But there, you know, there are some cruising speed things in here. Let's I saw the cruising here. speed stuff. I'm, I'm not. Uh, for all I know, the whole concept of V speeds doesn't apply to this kind of an aircraft. I was just making a joke. But uh, so, Jack, you're thinking about finding yourself a MiG-15 now? Yeah, you know, that's. Uh, I can I can renovate it next to the uh, Honda 175 I just got. Yeah. Well, there's there's a few MiGs operating here in the U.S. Yeah. So. No. There's you'll see them at at, at uh, AirVenture every year. There's um, they may not fly during the show. Sometimes they do. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's it's really cool to see an F-86 and and uh, some of the older uh, straight wing Navy uh, jet aircraft from from the same era. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I always love seeing the 15 and the 86 in the air together uh-huh. because. Despite how similar they look at first glance, the 86 was uh, proved itself to be a far superior piece of uh, combat aircraft. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of weird, kind of interesting. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting to read, even though you're never going to fly one of these, or you're probably never going to fly one of these. It's, it's kind of interesting to see, read them, you know, being familiar with the POH for your mm-hmm. airplane, you know, or right. the, the various airplanes you've, you've flown. Um, it's a know. smart idea, though. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I, 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 my only thought would be that if I was in a position to steal a MiG-15 and affect my escape, yeah, I've got a buttload of other problems. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, right. You know, and 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 you know, Bob Hoover, as Bob Hoover would say, you don't yeah. need no stinking manual. You know, that's so, right. So, that's right. I don't know if he'd say that or not, but I don't know if he'd say that or not. For all we know, he found a manual already, but uh, that's a, that's a whole other story. A uh, whole other story. Um, so this is a, this is from a couple of weeks ago. I don't know whether there's been develop, developments on this one yet or not, but some interested civ- civilian has convinced um, the NTSB or some element of the NTSB to at least consider reopening the investigation into the crash back in 1959 that killed Buddy Holly, uh, Richie Valens, Big Bopper, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think, kinda... I think I think you might be overstating. How's that? I think um, the FAA will always entertain petitions from um, the, the FAA. The NTSB will always entertain petitions from the public as they have to do because they're a federal agency. And I think the, the news here is that they've simply received um, a, a petition. To reopen the investigation, oh, right. okay, um, as opposed to agreed have, have agreed to um, conduct a, or reopen this investigation. Sure. Okay, well, I'll stand corrected. Although what I yeah what I said was sort of paraphrasing the lead paragraph in this story, but I, I down lower it does go into a little bit more detail. Like you said, it said that they've they received a letter. Oh, the the the, the person who submitted this uh, request suggestion whatever um, received a letter from the NTSB's office of man- the managing director stating specialists are looking into the information the person provided. Oh, okay. Okay, right. well, that, that, that's Is that different? more than, I mean, that, that sounds that, like almost a boilerplate letter that said, you know, 
We, says, we have your petition. We're don't call us. We'll call you, maybe. But, yeah, we're, uh, we're considering your petition. What happened on the, uh, the, the Buddy Holly crash? What, 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 quickly, what were the circumstances? Because I'm not sure if a lot of people really know what the circumstances were. Where did it happen, for starters? Um, About five miles out of the airport at Clear Lake, Iowa. Iowa. What time of year? It was, it was February 3rd. Uh-huh. And what was the weather like? Snow. Yeah. It, it was a, it was a, there was a bit of weather that night. And, uh, um, and so they took off, they, they loaded up, they took off. They, it was 1947 Beach Bonanza first year. Mm-hmm. Was it a V-tail? Yeah. Okay. They were all V-tails. Then. Okay. And, uh, they took off and they were climbing out and, and, and flying away from the airport, obviously. Um, and there were eyewitnesses on the ground who apparently saw them fly away. And then before the airplane went, got far enough away to disappear from sight, they saw it descend and disappear. Mm-hmm. And, and it, and then later on, like the next day or whatever, they, they found it in a, in a field, crashed in a field, uh, with no survivors. Um, what, what was the finding at the time as to what happened? Do you know, Jeb, you're the safety guy. Do you, are you familiar with this report? Yeah, I'll paraphrasing and I haven't really pawed through it. Although I will say that looking at it recently, it's for the day and time it was done compared to what they do now. This was a very well done report. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically the pilot, um, did not have an instrument rating. Uh, it was legal at the time to fly at night, uh, on a charter, um, the weather was technically VFR, but not good VFR. Um, it was technically legal to do all this without an instrument rating in, in that day and age. Uh, the airplane did have gyro instruments and the pilot was undergoing his, his training for his instrument rating, but the airplane had recently been fitted with a, uh, uh, horizon gyro, an attitude gyro, with which the the accident pilot was not familiar. Today we have, um, um, I'm, a, I'm sure I'm going to butcher this and get it backwards, but today we have uh, gyros that basically spin in place and the air, the instrument case and, of course, the airplane is attached to the instrument case. Mm-hmm rotates around the gyro right okay um it's not clear to me which was which but um the gyro the guy had been training on had a, uh, an indication that was reversed mm-hmm. from um the, the gyro that was installed in the airplane i see so when he's wanting to turn left, he starts to, he puts his input in and the gyro kind of sort of tells him he's turning right or, or at least you can be confused and think that's what it's saying. At least you could be confused and think that's what it's doing. And as a result, he lost control. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was an overcast from which there was snow falling. Visibility was maybe two or three, four miles. Um, again, the airspace, the, the rules were a lot different than, than they are now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And according to the investigation, the pilot had passed his instrument written, but he'd failed a flight check on March 21 of 58. Mm. Oh, uh, really? 11 what? months earlier. And I want to correct something. The airport's in Mason City, Iowa. Yeah, I was just getting to that. A few yeah. miles from Clear Lake. Uh, I always home in on Clear Lake because that's where the winter dance party made its last full stop. 
that was a tour that the three of them were participating the in. Musicians, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, now, go back a second here, David. You say he failed a flight check. What? what can you be more specific? Uh, was this a, in an attempt to earn his instrument rating, or was this some other kind of flight I, check? I believe it was his uh, instrument check ride. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, in, in the 50s, the NTSB was not yet in existence. For that matter, I don't think the FAA was... This yet was in a, existence. This was, this, this was still the Civil Aeronautics Board right. that handled stuff like this, yeah. uh, accident investigations and pilots and so forth. Uh, guy had a little over 700 hours, about 120, almost 130 in Bonanzas, but he'd flown with a variety of different, with a variety of airplanes that had the more conventional gyro. And this one, like uh, Jeb was de- describing, uh, was uh, presented quite a different view. And I've seen some of those and understand how easily it'd be, you, one could be confused by what it's showing you if you were used to seeing the other picture. So, uh, and this is explained in the um, in the accident report, the CAB accident yeah. report. Says, the Sperry F three F three gyro provides a direct reading indication of the bank and pitch attitude of the aircraft, but its pictorial pictorial representation is achieved by using a stabilized sphere whose free-floating movements behind a miniature aircraft presents pitch information with a sensing exactly opposite Mm -hmm. from that depicted by the conventional artificial horizon. And I would simply point out at this date uh, uh, that probably the only time anyone's had a Sperry F3 gyro, but uh, that's a whole other topic. Yeah. You, don't, you don't see any of those these days. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, And it, it's not unusual for the NTSB to be petitioned, like Jeb said. Uh, and they're, by statute, required to receive and consider petitions like that, just as the FAA is. That doesn't mean anything substantive will happen and if anything substantive happens, please don't hurt. Please don't hurt yourself by holding your breath. Yeah, yeah right. And nobody but Papa Smurf looks good that blue. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I was just looking. I did a quick, uh, quick. I'm, uh, I, I'm doing it too. Google News search here to see whether there's been any, any more developments on this story in the, since uh, this, this one we're looking at came out a couple of weeks ago. I'm not seeing anything newer than than the date on the one we're looking at here. So. Well, it, it, they'll do their review deliberation. They'll look at the CAB's report. Uh, if the uh, gentleman that filed the position has petition has something new to offer, though, that should have been in the uh, petition itself. Uh, and then, most likely. I doubt seriously that it'll go beyond this. Yeah, it really is an interesting report. I only skimmed it when I when this when I first saw the story. I, I asked Jeb. I think it was Jeb. You you pointed me to the to the actual report, and you're right. It's pretty elaborate. Yeah. I mean, it's just like uh, and it, and it appears to be what like a a, a PDF image of the uh, of the actual typewritten report from way back and, when. It's, that's my understanding. It's yeah. uh, it's it's yeah. a, it's a pretty interesting document. Um and uh, and and given the historical nature of it, it's it, it's even more interesting. So, uh, anyways, so flying, you know, there you go. You know, flying into uh, IFR. It, Problem then, problem now. Continued VFR into IMC. Don't do it. Exactly right. Don't do it. It's a killer. Yeah.
And for the acquaintance who said, well, you, how much do you think icing had an effect on it? I don't think icing had any effect on it, airframe icing. Uh, when the airplane wings and the air temperature are all equal, to, right. you know, with the outside air temperature, snow doesn't stick to the airplane. Right, right. It just blows over. That doesn't mean that you won't get some, uh, uh, if you got some condensation collect, then you're going to get icing. Right. Uh, if you've got visible moisture, you're going to get icing. But snow doesn't generally create airframe icing problems. Uh, I've done it uh, a couple of times. Uh, the most disconcerting part about it the first time was having the, uh, the strobes reflecting off the snowflakes. So we left right. the beacons on and turned the strobes off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Other than that, it was kind of pretty, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, pretty. Okay. Moving on. The, uh, I came across this story um, on avweb.com's site uh, a couple weeks back. Um, it's a uh, uh, The headline is Cub versus Champ, which to pick. It's an interesting comparison that they did. They uh, 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 Two uh, reporters uh, at, uh, at uh, uh, Avweb uh, got together and spent some time with both a Cub and a Champ. They shot some video. They did a lot of flight testing. Um, they wrote an interesting article and po- posted some video on it. And, uh, and, and I'm not going to try and summarize um, the, what they wrote and what they uh, they showed in the video, um, but they they did do kind of an interesting comparison of the two aircraft. I wanted to talk to you two guys about this. Have you have have you guys flown either or a Cub or a Champ, David? Both. You both. flown both, Jeb? What have you yeah, flown? Yeah, I've, I've flown both. I flew a Champ last weekend, actually. Did you really? Oh yeah. Yeah, I knew. I and actually, I knew. I knew part of the answer Dave, to that question. Dave Whitman's right. Right. Yeah. I, I knew part of the answer to that question, Jeb, because you and I actually flew a champ on the same day a couple right. of years back. Same, um, same champ. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so what, what are you guys' impressions of the, you know, kind of comparing, compare and contrast a uh, Piper Cub and a, and a, it's an Aronka champ, right? And, right. Uh, um, right. David, you go first. What, what do you think of the two? Which one, which one, I mean, I'm not going to ask you necessarily which one you prefer, but are they the same? Are they different? Uh, they're more st- similar than they are different but uh it doesn't get any more basic than a cub with no electrical system uh and a lot of champs didn't have it but more and more they did uh particularly the post-war stuff post-world war ii stuff Mm -hmm. uh of the two if i was shopping i'd probably go for the champ ahead of the cub Excuse me, ahead of the Cub. Mm-hmm. Why? You sold it from the front seat, mm-hmm. uh, which is helpful. Uh, you usually have a little more fuel available in, in, in many of them. And uh, electrical systems are more common. And it's got a little bit more in the way of uh, luggage capacity. Uh, neither one of them are a breeze to get in or out of. Yeah, oh, yeah, but, okay. I can, yeah. You know, uh that's just typical of the era and that kind of design. But when it comes down to the basic flying, uh, I really don't see enough difference between them to make much of a debate. Jim, what, what's I, your impression I don't of disagree. the two? Yeah. I, don't, I don't disagree with, with, with Dave's summation. Um, I, I will confess I don't have a whole lot of time in a Cub, uh, but I, I do have some time. I uh, have also a lot of time in, in Super Cubs, or at least in the back seat of a Super Cub. Um, 
But th- was I've, that I've just some... your air, um, your seaplane rating, or no? Oh, okay. Super Cub tail dragger. Super Cub. Um, I've got Super Cub tail dragger time. I have conventional, although perhaps a little overpowered Cub tail dragger time. I have Super Cub seaplane time. Yes. Okay. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah. So, no, 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 so yeah, okay. comparing the two. So uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, <sighs> they're they're different airplanes. Um, Can you give me an example of how they they're have different? Different characteristics. The the champ is a little bit lower to the ground. The gear stance is a little bit wider, uh, making ground loops um, certainly easy enough in both of them, but a little bit more difficult to accomplish in the champ. Mm-hmm. Uh, the champ can be soloed uh, from either seat. The cub can only be soloed from the rear seat. Mm-hmm. Um, Where the, the vil- cu- visibility is really, really reduced, right? Well, this that's how S-turning on taxi got invented. I know, yeah. 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 Um, the uh, both of them have um, fuel tank between the firewall and the cockpit, which is not a real good idea. Although some of them later models will have wing-mounted tanks, also there's always going to be some kind of a header tank there between the firewall and the uh, and the co- and the cabin, the cockpit, whatever you want to call it. Um, the controls are pretty much all conventional. Um, they both have some of the same basic characteristics in that if you don't know how to use the rudder, you're going to have a bad day. Mm-hmm. Um, the, um, um, the handling to me is, is pretty much the same. I mean, it's all, it, 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 again, it's going to be heavy, heavy on the rudder. Um, sometimes you get a sprightly, uh, cub on a nice crisp day and you're like welded to the thing. Um, the, uh, the champ, uh, just last weekend I flew, um, just hand flew it straight and low, hand flew it, <laughs> got low. Yeah, because, you know, the flight director was broken. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you were going to rough it that day, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it, the handling is is typical pre-war uh, or World War II tail dragger handling. Uh, they didn't really know anything about uh, uh, differential aileron. They didn't really know anything or couldn't hadn't figured out how to design it out yet. Um, things like that. So again, you know, rudder comes in really handy. But all of that having been said, that's the finer points, if you will. That's the uh, if you really want to nail this thing and you want to fly it like it's on rails and yada, 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 um, that's the kind of stuff that you'd be interested in. But that's not what these airplanes are designed for. These airplanes are designed for just, you know, going out and, you know, let's do, let's let's go over there and see what that, that um, what the, what's on that highway over there. That looks like a fast car. Let's go chase it. And nine times out of ten, the fast car will leave you behind. Right. <laughs> uh, the, 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 the Cub, uh, Bird Rally in this article makes a good point. The, the Champ has what you could consider to be a conventional one-piece door that's hinged uh, at the, the forward portion of the door to the fuselage. The traditional Cub, and you know, I guess all Cubs, um, have that two-piece clamshell door design. Mm-hmm. Um, that you have uh, the upper part of the door hinges upward and can be latched against the, the bottom of the wing. The lower part of the door uh, hinges downward and can just be left down or, in fact, can be pulled up and latched. 
um, with the lower part of the clamshell door in the closed position and latched, you can leave open the upper half, the window, mm-hmm. against the upper, uh, the underside of the wing, and you've got built-in air conditioning. Oh, yeah. You can't do that with the Champ because it's not designed for that. Right. But it's, right. it's not as if... It's not as if the champ's airtight. Yeah, I wouldn't think. No, okay, I, I, so, I have a little bit of experience, yeah, but yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, although I know what you're talking about with the air conditioning. My my, my champ, quote-unquote, I'm making finger quotes, time, is limited to uh, just riding as a passenger. In, in sure. The, um, on a winter day, I was uh, was riding with uh, with our our pal Laminars uh, in his uh, ski-equipped champ, uh, correction, a cub, and... Uh, and uh, and on takeoff, on climb out, the door popped. The, the clamshell doors popped open, and uh, it was like. And I'm I'm I figure I'm you know I'm 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 kind of begging. He's like trying to close the doors and latch the doors, right? And I'm I'm sort of half begging him. I'm saying, please fly the airplane. I'll take care of the door. You just fly the airplane, you know. But he knows that airplane so well. He he was just fine. Um, but yeah, on a on a cold winter day, climbing out and the door pops open. Yeah, yeah it got yeah. a little chilly. Yeah, it got a little yeah. chilly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I. I mean, so which which one of those would you buy if you were in in the market and those were the two that were available? I don't know. I, I genuinely don't know. Uh, I would probably look for both of them. I'll probably start out looking for a champ, but I'd probably also looking be looking at Cubs and try to find the one that best suited me as far as equipment and and uh, recent restoration and, and and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, is it fair to say that Cubs are more, I don't know what the right word is, well-known, considered more legendary, considered, do you know what I'm talking about? Every time you, um, you know, I won't say every time, there was a time, you know, at least in my experience, when a single-engine airplane would crash, someone would ask, well, what kind of Piper Cub was it? Yeah, right. Yep. Yeah. Is this just because they had good press agents, Piper did, back in the day? or Well, that's, why, a, very, why that's a very good observation, actually, because Bill Piper was less of an aeronautical engineer than he was a marketing person. Yeah. And that and, cub yellow, the little mm-hmm, insignia exactly. mm-hmm. in the ads, own mm-hmm. this airplane for $648. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sold a lot of cubs. Yeah. It's just a happy, jaunty-looking little airplane, and it did come first. So it was first. It was the Cub was a pre-war design. The Champ's a post-war design. Oh, Isn't okay. that right? That, Isn't that right? Uh, that sounds right. I don't know for sure. Well, you know, it's a shame we don't have some some, some way we can network. Yeah, yeah I know. Huh? And have all this information out there. Uh, they're both lovely basic airplanes, yeah. but they they do have their. Individual character, uh, individual personality traits, uh, but in terms of basic stick and rudder <clears> flying, <throat> I say pick which one feels the best to you. Mm-hmm. And if you're really tall, neither one of them is going to be really comfortable for very long. Yeah. Although the taller <laughs> guy can see farther from the back of a cub. Than yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, Jeb, are you looking that up? According to the Wikipedia uh, entry here. The Champ's first flight was in mid-1944. Okay. Was introduced uh, to the market in 1945, November of 1945. So that would kind of sort of make it post-war. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, or late war, but yeah, right. And then the well, it was it, it was part of a Russia designs based on an assumption uh, later shown to be incorrect, based on an assumption that those uh, couple of million pilots that were trained during World War II were going to all want to come back and keep flying for fun. And as it worked out, only a very small percentage of them wanted to keep flying, period. I was looking recently, uh, and that's exactly right, I was looking recently at uh, some production statistics, historical production statistics, I guess on the Gamma website, um, and I was astounded at some of these post-war production numbers, um, anticipating exactly that that thing, the glut of of uh, military-trained pilots coming home uh, from the war are going to want to f- continue to fly airplanes. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I think uh, to an extent that happened, but n- not nearly on the same, uh, at the same rate and the same level as a lot of people wanted. Can you give us a ballpark on how those numbers compared to current day? I mean, what was the... Yeah, well, hang on a second. Let me go pull up this, uh, this yeah, report. Yeah, I'm kind of curious what, what the comparison was because it's... Uh, I saw, what did I see, a story? What was it about? It was some airplane, and they were talking about the manufactured number, and uh, and and it said something like, you know, they were crowing, all right, that they built like you know seventy of them last year, and I was, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, it, it just like, yeah. and I know that that's worth. I mean, I understand that's worth crowing about in some of these cases, sadly, um, but uh, um, it, it's just you know. It, it's actually what I want to talk about in this next series of stories that's coming up here. But let's get these numbers first, and then we'll move on. Um, U.S. manufactured general aviation airplane shipments by type, 1946 through 2014. Okay. 1946, total, the grand total and total piston uh, aircraft was 35 thousand nineteen forty six thirty five thousand okay and this is gamma numbers uh in forty seven that dropped to less than half fifteen thousand five hundred ninety four in forty eight it was down to just over seven thousand okay wait a minute wait, wait, wait. let me go go back a second thirty five to thirty what was the forty seven Thir- number thirty five to fifteen five to to seven seven thousand wow forty six forty seven and forty eight that's a crash of a certain kind that that's oh, yeah good. okay um and so you got all that going on and then uh you start looking at and gamma's to their great credit has a lot of really good numbers in this this is their uh their annual snapshot, but uh, you go look at that, and then the numbers that let's say seven thousand in nineteen forty-eight, the numbers don't get back above that level until nineteen fifty-nine, mm-hmm. seventy seventy-six hundred. The peak number after nineteen forty-seven was achieved in what year, Jack? Quick, don't look. Uh, oh, okay. Um, the peak number. I'm sorry. Ask the question again. The peak number of general oh, aviation. I know, air, and I'm not pit, looking. All right, well, airplane on. production was made in what year? Sixty-three. <laughs> that was a total guess. That was a total. Grab. I got my hand up. I got my hand up. Okay, uh, Mr. Higdon, you and the beard, please. Nineteen seventy-eight. Bingo. Really? We we have a wiener. What what happened in nineteen seventy-eight that that uh, made that a magical year? Hyperinflation uh, and uh, the investment tax credit. Ding. 
Yeah, okay. Give that man a Cupid doll. The uh, buying a new airplane was a great tax break. Putting on, buying an airplane, putting it on the line for rental or or training or whatever like that uh, was a great tax break, and the thing depreciated itself under the tax laws in like three or five years. I forget which. After which, you throw it away, buy another one, re- rinse, repeat. Mm-hmm. And if you go out and look at, I was I was trading emails with a guy uh, recently um, about uh, the airplane he owns and, and, and how I used to fly that when it was on the line. Uh, you go back and look at uh, a lot of the Cessna 172 and 172RG registrations or, or Piper Arrows or, or uh, um, things like that. And so many of these airplanes were built in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really staggering. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, that, yeah. That, there was a run-up between the early '70s and '78, mm-hmm. and airplanes weren't the only thing that were being uh, boosted by the investment tax credits. Yeah, railroad box cars, uh, mm-hmm. box barges, uh, rental properties. Uh, there was a whole host of things that uh, got the investment tax credit, all of which saw their roller coaster hit the downslope for years when the ITC went away. Yeah. yeah. GA was just one of them. Um, in 1980, and we're just talking piston-powered airplanes here. In 1980, um, general aviation, U.S. general aviation manufacturers produced – 10,756 airplanes. By 1982, two years later, the number was down to 3,500. Yeah. And it kept dropping. In 1987, it was down to 700. 1988, 695. And, well, uh, that, as I recall, that was a period when the economy was in pretty tough shape. The, as well. the economy had tanked in, in some. For, um, well, 86 uh, when Cessna stopped yeah. building piston right. airplanes. Yeah, the, the economy tanked in part because the f- investment tax credit was repealed. Okay? <laughs> Thank you so much for that, Jeb. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> people listening just heard a bleep, but <laughs> Jeb got real worked up there for a second. Um, are you still there, Jeb? Yeah, Jeb, you, you promise you yelled into your mic and the gain went down. We can't hear you. It'll come back. <laughs> It'll come back. But anyways, Jeb's in the penalty box because he said a bad word. And uh, When it comes back, I'll redo it. You know, now you're coming back. Okay. Go ahead. The problem, of course, is they repealed the investment tax credit. And that's what KO'd a lot of this, as yeah. well as, you know, box, railroad box cars and rental properties, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, yeah. Well, in, in, the, uh, in the early 70s, uh, my uh, budding career was focused on building ships and barges in my hometown at a place called Jeff Boat. And although my job was on the specialty barge line, or specialty vessels line, as they called it, uh, we had another line that was producing just plain old box hopper barges. Mm-hmm. We were putting one in the water a day. Mm-hmm. And that was including Saturdays and Sundays. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Two and a half years after I left in 1976, yeah. they shut the yard down for lack of business. 
yeah. or shut the production down, for lack of business. The dry docks and repair work continued. And it was the 90s before it reopened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And before, before we start getting a lot of mail, there were obviously a lot of other factors involved. Uh, again, we mentioned hyperinflation, uh, oil, price of oil, uh, overseas competition. There's all kinds of, of different things going on here. Um, invest, repeal of the investment tax credit was not the only factor no. lead, leading to the drop off but it was a in my in my hindsight um certainly a a big one yeah yeah david how is it i've had over 377 conversations with you over the last 10 years and i never knew that about you you worked in the boat building or the barge building world you are boat, a multi talented guy that's what, i was what they called a fitter yeah Couldn't, in some places they call it steel fitting and others they call it ship fitting yeah. uh but my job was to run a crew uh, with an assistant who was a welder and a less experienced fitter and his welder, uh, what they called tackers. Mm-hmm. And we would take the prefabbed bottoms, sides, bows, and sterns, and with the help of a huge pair of gantry cranes, put everything together and then clear out so that the welders could come to stitch it all up and we'd go on to the next project. Mm-hmm. Was that before ship, or after? Sh- go ahead. Before go ahead, or after your Navy time, David? After. After. Yeah. After. And it was the only other line of work that I enjoyed the uh, meeting the challenges of as much as journalism. Uh, if winters hadn't been killer on my income, I might still be doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And briefly considered going to the Gulf Coast or Australia where they were offering guys with my experience almost triple the money uh, tax-free to come over and help their uh, shipbuilding. But had a family, kids, and the rest is history. uh, Families were welcome, but my family wasn't wild about leaving home, uh, something that came home even harder later on, but Uh, we'll not go to that one. A career in magazine publishing. That's an inside career as as a (laughs) journalist his career as a journalist that's right um jeb was there something you wanted to jump in there <laughs> nothing that's pertinent okay talking about uh, uh times when uh, airplane uh, uh manufacturing numbers were good faa announced uh in the last couple weeks i guess um and i happen to be reading the report of this from um david speaking of which the wichita business journal um the bizjournals.com uh, headline, FAA expects to see more general aviation planes in the next 20 years. And I think when we all saw this headline and read maybe even the first few graphs, we thought, oh, good, this is, you know, good. We'd like to see these kinds of stories. But I, I noticed a, a, a loophole in this story. Um, and uh, it's talking a lot about, uh, and it's true, apparently there are going to be a lot, a lot of GA airplanes. Um, the thing to remember is that GA doesn't just include um, our Pipers and Cessnas and Aronkas and, and Champ, or and Cubs. Um, I know that's a piper too. It uh, it, it includes business aviation, uh, which is kind of the big factor here, I think. Um, and it also includes uh, turbine versus piston. And I quickly dug into these numbers and discovered that the one area that is not going to grow during this time period, according to the projections, is piston powered aircraft. And and I think that's a sad sad part of this story. What do you guys think about this story? I think this is a forecast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it could go in a lot of different directions. Um, the FAA conducts their forecast conference 
um, as a way of of uh, making sure that um, vendors as well as the agency itself understands the demands that will be placed um, on it to support the fleet. Um, and they typically get it more right than wrong. There's always going to be upheavals that change the forecasts um, and, and unforeseen events, et cetera, et cetera. It can change them in either direction, of course. Um, I that is pretty good news, actually. I think uh, only a six tenths of one percent drop over the next twenty years in piston uh, uh, in, in number of piston well, aircraft. I think that's really a pretty good. All right, put that way. I think um, you're right, but uh, um, outcome. Yeah, and it doesn't include light sport. Does not include light sport. Yeah, okay. Does not include light sport. Where do you see that? That was what uh, was in the FAA press release or something from okay. DJ, I forget which. Uh, I'm looking at the FAA press release. Got to get way down. Doesn't specifically say, but. I'll take your word for it. I don't. I would guess it probably also does not include experimental amateur built. Ding, ding, ding! You get two Cupid dolls today. Woo! That's the. Th- those are two wild cards in this. Yeah. And I don't think that this forecast. Uh, you know, it's partly based on polls and talking to the manufacturers and so forth and operators. But I also don't think it uh, uh, accounts for pot- potential changes in the uh, requirements to qualify for a pilot's license. For example, if the third-class medical requirement went away, right. there's some feeling that that would be a catalyst that would help boost pilot numbers, not necessarily airplane sales. But pilot numbers, and if pilot numbers go up, the potential for airplane sales yeah, exactly. also goes up. Exactly. Uh, I also don't think it includes things like, uh, well, where did it go? It was there a second ago. I'll just leave it at the uh, medical. Okay. Oh, yeah, the, well, uh, the, the requirement for 1,500 hours to become a commercial pilot. Yeah. which has had a dampening effect on some people's desire to go into flying for a career. Uh, yeah, so, te- you know, technically, what you just said is technically not correct. No? You said 1,500-hour requirement to be a commercial pilot. No, I'm 15, sorry. You're right. 15, to be an airline pilot. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, not a commercial pilot. Right. Misstated on my part. So Apologies. you guys are feeling a little more upbeat about this, this forecast. Do you think this is... Uh, we well, can- I, I think it's... Yeah, we I think can feel it's good a, about this. Yeah, I think it's a forecast. And, yeah, I know. And I also think any any time that this industry, this market can more or less hold its own uh, is a pretty good thing. Because as, yeah. as, we, as, as we just discussed, uh, the, the overall numbers of piston aircraft production have been up and down like a yo-yo over the last several decades. And we just discussed some of the reasons for that. Um Maybe some leavening out and some evening out is a, is a pretty good thing. 
we'll still have peaks and valleys. You know, we'll have companies one year crowing about they made 70 airplanes, and the next year they'll be, you know, they'll not be saying a whole lot because they only made 65. Um, but it's better than zero. Yeah. Okay. No, that's true, two, I guess. Two last things that I want to pop in. Go ahead. The FAA does this forecast every year. Yeah. Right. And they have a conference where they dive into the numbers and talk about where they come from and then how the industry can use it which is the second thing. This forecast exists to provide the industry, as Jeb's correctly stated, with some uh, materials to uh, help them plan. But it also gives us in the community uh, uh, an outlook that can start us thinking about what we could do to make that forecast incorrect uh-huh. by having business do better. And if there's anything general aviation needs more than pilots right now, I want somebody to point it out to me because the decline in the pilot population is what's killing this more than anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and I don't know. It's not on the list and, and, uh, and whatnot, but we really kind of sort of need to, to beat the bushes here a little bit about um, the Pilots' Bill of Rights, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is legislation that's been introduced I in the last yeah. – Go ahead. Did we talk, did we talk about PBO I think we talked about it last I'm episode, not sure yeah. episode but, okay. but update us, David. Je- okay. Jeb, what's going on? Well, there's, there's, I don't know that if we talked about it, there's not that much of an update out there. Um, both the House bill and the Senate bill continue to gain some co-sponsors. Um, EAA, AOPA, uh, some of the other usual suspects are beating the bushes, getting their members to, to write their respective uh, – uh, congressmen and senators in support of the bills. Um, nothing's going to happen here for the next couple of months, I would think, uh, if for no other reason than um, the, there's the pace of uh, other pressing business in Congress, budget time and appropriations and all that kind of thing. But now's a great time to tell your senators and congressperson um, that you support this that you think that the Pilots' Bill of Rights 2 is a great thing. It's the best thing since sliced bread, whole milk, canned beer, and premarital sex. Um, it, it, and, and Jack, you kind of keyed me on to this. What's um, that? It goes back a ways. Um, talking about um, – the way we've trained over the years, how uh-huh. we how we've always set these milestones, these yardsticks that uh, that pilots are pressured to make, like you know, getting right. through the written exam and, yeah. and, and getting through the solo and right. and then progressing on to various maneuvers and cross countries right. and all that kind of thing, and- which which puts pressure on on student pilots. And and makes it kind of sort of into a competition yeah. that may be off-putting on, no. in some instances. To, I've come to, to totally believe yeah, this. Yeah, to student pilots, and and I got to thinking about this in, in conjunction with the medical certificate. Yeah, and the same thing is true there. Um, medical exams for pilots really came about um, prior to World War II. When the military was looking for ways to uh, um, uh, discard certain applicants and to to separate applicants from each other in in ways that uh, 
uh, they can certainly try to get the cream of the crop, whether it be color blindness or or size and weight or, or some or whatever other characteristics. That's really the genesis of the third class medical or all medical certificates, of course, but certainly the third class medical certificate. And hello, come in. We're not in that kind of a war anymore. Yeah. No. Uh, we don't need to be eliminating, finding ways to eliminate people from this industry. We we already have enough of those. Yeah, really. <laughs> we we need to be yeah. finding ways to bring people in and make it more inclusive. Mm-hmm. And we already have Sport Pilot, which has proven to be a great success. Um, for, specifically and especially from the standpoint of uh, eliminating the medical certificate. The pe- airplanes are not dropping out of the sky because their pilots are dying or, or having medical issues. And we just need to expand that to, to the point of eliminating the third-class medical certificate as the, uh, the PBOR2 uh, uh, would do. And, and I hope our listeners will take that to heart. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Shout-outs. Anybody got any shout-outs here before we uh, put this one to bed? I had something that was... You do? Yeah, no, that, that's not... You have another one, okay. I have another one. Um, um, I don't David, know. you got anything while he's thinking? No? <laughs> it's going to be one of those weeks. That's going to be one of those weeks. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'm I'll the go. only guy who has a shout-out, really? Yeah, really. I'll go while you're thinking, Jeb. Um, I just want to remind everybody that uh, Uncontrolled Airspace will be at the Sun and Fun Fly and coming up real soon now, uh, especially yeah. by the time I get this episode out on the uh, on the net. But uh, we, uh, <laughs> We're um, talking Sun and Fun 2016. Yeah, no, 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 no. This will be... <laughs> This will be out before Sun and Fun 2015, and uh, I can't guarantee we're going to be at 2016, but we're going to be at 2015, and uh, and we're going to be having some fun uh, uh, checking out airplanes and visiting with our friends. We're going to record uh, two uh, full-blown episodes of uh, Uncontrolled Airspace uh, along uh, from the deck of Sun and Fun Radio, uh, our good friends there at the at the Sun and Fun Radio operation, and uh, we'll be doing that uh, on uh, Tuesday afternoon, opening day of Sun and Fun, uh, right after the air show, we'll be on the deck there recording, and uh, we would love it if you'd stop by and say hi. And then we'll also be recording an episode on Sunday morning, the f- closing day of Sun and Fun. Um, I believe it's at 11 o'clock in the morning um, from 11 to noon. We'll be recording again. And we'll be hanging out all throughout the week, uh, all over the grounds. Uh, we sort of the Sun and Fun radio station has become our home base. And it's a good place to to wander by. And, and, and even if we're not there, say hi to, to Dave Shelbetter and his gang because they're great people. Um, but, uh, but, but we waffles, waffles. That's right. I'm not sure if I'm, I'm not sure if I'm authorized to, uh, to give away waffles anymore. Um, but Sun and Fun Radio is, is, is legendary for the, uh, the, uh, awesome waffles that they make for their volunteers. So that's what you could do. You could volunteer for Sun and Fun Radio. And in addition to having some good fun, uh, get some, get you some waffles, um, but uh, we'll be doing there and doing two episodes there, and we'll also be doing a bunch of dailies while we're down there, and we'll just be generally in, enjoying the uh, warm weather. At least some of us will be enjoying the warm weather and uh, and uh, checking out the airplanes. It's going to be a good sun and fun air show uh, or fly in this year. Um, a lot of good stuff. Two jet teams, I understand. Um, hmm. Thunderbirds and uh, this what L thirty nine team that I'm blanking okay, on their name. Cool. Um, the L thirty nine team. Yeah, no, it's not. It's, it's it's named after their sponsor group. That's why it's such so. It's shame on me to not remember. Um, I want to say Breitling, but I'm not positive. 
Um, anyways, okay. the uh, uh, and and then all sorts of other kinds of uh, of uh, airplane stuff. I understand they've done made some changes to the Warbird ramp that maybe will make that an even more interesting and and cool place to hang out. And, cool. Uh, and uh, you know, always wander on over to uh, Paradise City, the uh, Ultralight and LSA area. And uh, Sun and Fun's great. I'll, uh, it's a it's a wonderful time, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. And and we'll be there with uncontrolled airspace. So we'll either report to you uh, on the podcast, or you can stop by and say hi. That's my shout out. Did you figure it out, Jeb? I did. Um, I, I, I didn't figure out what the, the one I was missing, but I'll just go with the one that, that's listed here. And, and I'll simply say that uh, Harrison Ford uh, has had some trials and tribulations recently, um, as, as we probably all know. Uh, but uh, he's also uh, the narrator of a new production. Uh, a feature length film is shot in IMAX uh, and uh, produced under the auspices of the National Geographic Society uh, entitled Living in the Age of Airplanes. Mm-hmm. And this is something that, uh, um, quote, was shot in 95 locations in 18 countries across all seven continents, giving the audience a unique perspective on how the airplane has changed the world, transformed our lives, and connected countries and cultures. And I think that's a, uh, uh, certainly a worthwhile project for anybody, but uh, it certainly is also something I'm looking forward to seeing. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm just kind of, since I first heard about this on the EAA website, I'm kind of sort of betting that it might be one of the evening films this year at AirVenture. But the, the premiere of the film is scheduled for April 10. Uh, and those of you within the sound of my voice who are uh, within in the D.C. area, uh, April 10 at the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum in downtown D.C. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Is this the one? It, didn't he like, so he, he was in that, that, that uh, accident where he, he came down, landed hard um, in uh-huh. Santa Monica. He was in the hospital for a while. Forced landing. Yeah, forced landing. And, uh, and I think I saw the story that he got out of the hospital and immediately went to record some voiceovers that he was doing for some sort of aviation-related thing. Maybe it was this one. Maybe it probably, that could that could be. Was it this my, one or something else? But my uh, understanding is this was already in the can. Yeah, I think you may be right. Obviously, his his uh, little episode. Yeah. So obviously, as we mentioned last episode, Harrison Ford is quite the aviation evangelist, and uh, we thank him and wish him well. Yeah. And in the next time you watch Six Days, Seven Nights, pay particularly close attention because that's where his love of flying started. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, Any other shout-outs? David, you got any? No? Not a one. All right, then. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. It's always fun talking with you. Uh, Jeb Burnside, uh, freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. What you been working on, Jeb? What's going on? Not a whole lot of anything the last couple of weeks. Uh, um, I basked in too much glow. <laughs> <laughs> too much glow. Okay. <laughs> I thought uh, from, I had the title this episode, but now I have to rethink it. Too much glow. Too much glow. Um, and um, started to dig out from from underneath all of that, getting getting geared up for the next issue of Aviation Safety Magazine. Um, got a couple of other little projects that are that are cruising right along, and uh, um, just ha- enjoying springtime. Cool, cool. Uh, and uh, where can people find you on the internet? 
Uh, AviationSafetyMagazine.com and AEA.net right now are the places where you can read about, uh, read stuff that I've written. Uh, You can also maybe uh, uh, pick up a tidbit or two from my Twitter feed, which is pretty much non-existent, but every now and then I'll throw a gem out there. And uh, on the Twitter machine, I am Burnside J. And Dave Higdon, always great talking with you as well. Dave's an aviation photographer, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's Av Buyer magazine. What have you been working on, David? You gave us a, you gave us a little tease on this earlier. Well, a uh, story out of this trip is going to uh, be for Av Buyer magazine, uh, talking about specifically about uh, international operations and getting in and out of different parts of the world uh, safely, sanely, and securely. Uh, the most current thing on the dance card will be in mailboxes at NFBOs within a few days, and that's in avionics news, uh, a story that looks into the variety of options for ADSB in, which is not required, but certainly has some benefits for those that uh, increasingly are looking at it as the uh, low-cost option to collision avoidance and in cockpit weather. That sounds pretty interesting. Yeah, cool. Got to look that up. And where can people find you on the internet? Uh, Fbuyer.com, Aviation Safety Magazine, uh, AEA.net. Uh, Twitter feed is uh, Real Higdon. And, uh, or, you know, roll the dice and do a Google search. Yeah. Remember, I'm not a golf writer nor a theoretical physicist. You know, in all these 377 conversations, I've never actually looked you up on Google to read well, about the golf writers and the. Uh, the well, there's folks. that, but I was wondering if the dot porn uh, top level domains are out there yet. <laughs> no, no, man, uh, that, that was all back in the era where it was black socks and black bars over everybody's eyes. Uh, all right. I see. Okay, that'll do. That'll do. Uh, Thank you very much. Yeah. I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer. <laughs> And a new media producer. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, uh, where I'm known as just Jack Hodgson. Not just, I'm not, twitter.com slash Jack Hodgson. Learn more than you about me than you really ever wanted to know at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. Big thanks to uh, Jeff Ward for all his help with the podcast, the show notes, and the forums, and, uh, and all the other things that he helps us out with. Uh, in many ways, we couldn't do it without him. Thanks to Mike Morgan, to Royce Earl, Jim Goldman, and all the other folks who have created the UCAP disclaimer clips. And don't forget, you can check out the rest of the UCAP website. You can chat with us directly and with many of your fellow listeners in the Uncontrolled Airspace forums and much, much more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, what were you going to say? Best way to a long, old life is to fly because, as everybody knows, time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. That's it. Show's over. Go home. <laughs>